0: Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. Did you ever have events in your life that uh, came as a complete surprise? I mean, like lately, like saying those three little words or those five little words, and then you count them in your mind. You're going, "No, there's actually like six or seven words, and it is well with my soul." And you're praying to God and yet you're counting the words because you said, okay, I just said something that was wrong. That surprised me this morning. That's in my notes, okay? Hopefully, you know, there's understanding there, but, but, not joking around. This past week, did you, were you kind of given a surprise that you weren't counting on? Could be a good one. Boss asks you to come in the next morning, all night you can't sleep, you don't know. Next morning he comes in and says, hey, we're going to give you a raise. A 20% raise. Or maybe it was that other sign where the boss says, okay, can you come in? And the boss says, uh, we no longer need your employment here. Here's a final check. Life is full of surprises. Good surprises, bad surprises, things that you didn't foresee, didn't expect, and a lot of things that we just did not want. They say that life is full of surprises, and I found that statement to be very true. I, I describe this way sometimes when we're talking, uh, maybe just in discipleship, how fragile life is. And I've found that in, in my years, that life is quite fragile. The things that we just thought were so strong that we th- think were so solid that we find out that we're here today and, and they're really truly gone tomorrow. And so this morning as we begin to think with these disciples after Christ has ascended and left them, even though he told them that all that would happen. And so there's an amount of this that they shouldn't be been surprised by. I think they're still somewhat surprised that they are left on this mission to reach the world with the hope of the gospel without Christ being center stage right there. By the time we pick up Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 12 this morning, he's already been arrested, he's been put to death, he's been buried, he's risen on the third day, he spent the last 40 days... Uh, Showing himself alive to them. Luke made that very clear in the opening verses of Acts chapter 1. And now, what Jeff covered last week, that he's ascended. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's now praying for us. He's there as, as going to the Father on our behalf. And he's preparing a place for us, just like he said, back in John. And so we see that all this activity is going on there. And yet, surprise is probably a word that I think would have been pretty characteristic if you were to ask the disciples that day, okay, are you surprised by these events? It had been uh, weeks, weeks of full of events. You know, over the last two months, their lives had changed drastically. And if there's one word that I think that would just kind of characterize them, we were kind of surprised. Even though they were told by Christ that many of those things would happen and forewarned that he would die but that he would rise again. And yet in the midst of all these left turns and right turns, when we get to chapter 12, there's a calm in their lives. Probably the first time that they've had calm in their lives for for quite some time. Look what it says, Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from a mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. In one way, these three verses seem to be filled with information, a lot of names, a lot of details. But today, I promise you that as we begin to look at these this morning, and we begin to experience these just through reading the Word of God, that these are transformational verses, God. Not just because, the Bible already says, that all Scripture is inspired, that it's all good for teaching, it's, that we are to be transforming our minds like we said before. Not just because it says it in the Bible, but we're going to see that because what we see happening in this information is that God is using that their experience to show us that we can have faith even in those darkest of days, those most unsure of times, those most surprising of events. In verse 12, it says that they were returned to Jerusalem. This is an act of obedience. This is what God said to do. If we go back to chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, look look what it says that Jesus said. And while standing there, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they're waiting. And when we get next week, as we start chapter 2, we're going to see the coming of the Holy Spirit. But now they're in that in-between stage where they're just kind of waiting for these events to happen. And yet in that waiting, they're obedient. In some ways, guys, this is kind of new to the disciples. I mean, these, these are the guys that that we're not always obedient to the things of Christ. You would think that, you know, have you ever put yourself in that position where you're going, okay, now, if I was one of the disciples, I wouldn't have challenged Jesus on this. I wouldn't have done this. That somehow we would have been so overwhelmed with who Jesus was that there would just be this automatic obedience. And yet we don't always see that in the disciples. And I doubt that we would have seen it in our own lives. In fact, now... In one way, guys, let me challenge you with this thought. We have more reason in one way you say, well, if I would have just seen Christ, folks again, if you want to experience God, open your word, open the Word of God. Now, if you have a believer in Christ, that is that you put all of your hope for salvation, all of your hope to be right with the holy God, and the finished work of Christ, not your righteousness, not your religious nature or anything, but just the work of Christ, then the very Spirit of God now dwells within you to empower you to righteousness. Obedience now, in one way, is easier than ever if we just look at what the Word of God instructs us to do, empowered by the Spirit of God. And yet, last week, were any of y'all disobedient? There's the challenge. So we see that they have obedience. They're doing what Jesus said. The second thing that we see is that they're unified. The Greek word there means to be with one mind, to be with a mind that is synonymous, you know, the kind of together in such a way that it's just coordinated. And they're in the coordination with one another. And yet these are the same disciples that just a couple months earlier maybe about 50 days earlier walking to Jerusalem when Jesus had told them that he must die on a cross and they're fighting amongst themselves, not the first fight, one of many, many that they experienced that they were just fighting. Who's going to be the one that gets to sit by Jesus? They're fighting amongst themselves in a prideful way. Unified, one accord is not how you would describe the disciples. But yet now they're praying and they're in one accord. And then it says that they were devoting themselves to prayer. They're in this room, not um, 120 of them, so there must have been a, a pretty big room. It's one of those that scholars have speculated, is this the same room that they went to for the Lord's Supper? Is this the same room that they were hiding in behind locked doors after the death and then the resurrection of Christ? And we don't know. There's a lot of speculation. But it's a pretty big room. 120 people that can fit in there and they Praying, and what are they doing as they pray? They're devoting themselves to prayer. You remember just weeks before when Jesus said, will you just pray a little bit with me? And they keep on falling asleep. And then with urgency, he comes back not one time, not two times, but three times. He expresses the urgency. Hey, stop praying for me. You pray for yourself. This is a critical moment. And they can't even stay awake and pray then. And yet now we see obedience, unity, and they're devoted to prayer. Something has changed. Well, Bobby, I think what's changed is, you know, the Holy Spirit has come. Now that's chapter 2. I'm not saying this isn't inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that there's not influence of the Holy Spirit, but there's not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit yet. I mean, even in the Old Testament, we have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. We have the influence and the empowering of the Holy Spirit at times in people's lives, but we don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in these lives. And so that hasn't happened yet, so we can't say, okay, man, the Holy Spirit did everything. Now, what what else has happened? Jesus died and he rose again. And in that resurrection, little things start to make sense. Little connections in their mind. See, this is exactly what Jesus said. You know, before when Jesus said, "You know, do this, all they heard was the cross. They didn't hear, I'm going to be risen in three days, even though he said that. He, he didn't hide that. It shouldn't have been a mystery. But they didn't hear that. But now they've seen that. And that was why it was so important in those opening verses of Luke chapter uh, of Acts chapter one that Luke makes the statement they saw him alive. And in one way you could read the scripture, he proved himself alive in front of them for forty days. And as I would understand it, my my own little brain trying to grasp this—that's what made a difference. Not that Jesus showed them all things for all time, but that they began to understand the power, the very power, that Jesus is in control, that Jesus has a plan, that God is working for eternity His sovereign plans. In a world of surprises, we need, we need to know that we have a God Who's mighty and powerful and loving and kind and all these other things, but that he is sovereign and that he is still working. Guys, plan A. Plan A, not plan B. Anybody in coding? Anybody in software? You write software? (laughs) You're always updating. You're always, okay, version 14, you know, B. You're making additions. Why? Because you find that there's maybe a little bit of a hole in that code or there's a little vulnerability. There's never been a vulnerability in the plans of God. He is working throughout the ages His perfect plan. And I think the disciples are starting to figure this out. Even before the Holy Spirit comes in the next chapter, they're beginning to see, influenced by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit... That the word of God is happening right before them. Look what verses 15 through 17 say. So here they're obedient. They're in unity. They're devoted to prayer. And then look what happens. Verse 15, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. If you write in your Bibles, I know that everybody doesn't. If you keep notes in your Bibles, if you don't mind marking, I would circle that phrase. The Scripture had to be fulfilled. It is one of the most important phrases, truths, in all the Bible. It's really the basis of this entire sermon. That Peter comes to an understanding that this is plan A. And what does he mean, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled? Look what he says, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He said, okay, now I saw Judas, the betrayer, do this to Jesus. But now I'm understanding that it goes all the way back and that David wrote about this in the inspired word of God. This wasn't plan B or C or D, but that God had prophesied that. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. What just happened? Do you catch what happened? Peter stands up and he says, as they're devoting themselves to prayer, the scripture sort of got fulfilled. Is that what he said? What does he say, church? The church, I mean, the scripture... Had. He's linking the sovereignty of God, that he's all-powerful, with the plants of God. He, just, he didn't even say that the scripture might be fulfilled. What we see from here is the divine inspiration of the Bible. He goes all the way back to David and he says, okay, I can trust this word. Did they have a Bible back in that day? They did. It was the Old Testament. It was a form of the Old Testament, not the exact Old Testament that we have now, but a form of the Old Testament. And so there were scriptures, and Peter's looking back, and he would have known. I mean, how could he even speak this had he not known some of the scriptures that David had mentioned this in the Psalms? And so he thinks back to the Old Testament, their scripture of the day, their Bible of the day. And he says, this scripture had to be fulfilled. It shows that the Bible is divinely inspired by holy God. Number two, the sovereignty of God. Can you trust this word of God this morning? trust it for many, many reasons. But these are two major ones. It is divinely inspired by God. Through the miracle of using different ones like Peter and John. Did you notice a couple verses up when it says, and Jesus' brothers were there? What a testimony. You know who two of those brothers were? God by the name of Jude. Have you ever heard that word, Jude? Have you ever in the New Testament seen a book called Jude? Another one was James. You know who this James is? The brother of Christ. Now if we go back in the times of Christ, in the ministry of Christ, what were the family, what was the family, the brothers of Christ saying about Christ? That he had lost it when they came and said, isn't this your brother? You know, isn't this the one that, you know, he was raised right here in Nazareth? And they said, you know, without saying the exact words, we think he's lost it. The brothers are filled with doubt. I believe, if we want to use the word that we're using today, surprise, I think that they would say, yeah, we were surprised that he's claiming that he's the Messiah. Because, you know, he slept right beside me many nights. Certainly this could be the Messiah that grew up in my own home. And yet, there they are. What made the difference? The resurrection of Christ. And all of a sudden, they're starting putting, seeing the the two plus two being put together. They're beginning to see things come together that had been prophesied. Don't miss this, folks. Peter begins to see the whole betrayal of Judas was not a surprise to God, but it was actually predicted by God. And I would go as far as to say, just me personally, that it was the plan of God. There's a whole nother sermon about how Judas worked on his own volition, his own free will, but at the same time, God was sovereign in this, and God was already working his plan. That's another sermon for another day. We'll talk about predestination, election, and all that, And uh, but it's, it's a great discussion. But for this morning, I, I just want you to concentrate. God did not invade Judas in his volition and his will. And yet God knew of that, and it was more than just foreknowledge. A lot of people kind of put away reformed thinking, or they put away going, well, it's just because God is all-knowing, and it's the foreknowledge of God. It is the foreknowledge of God, and it's a thousand times more. It's the might of God. It's the holiness of God. It's the fullness of God. For this sermon, I want us to recognize how Peter's understanding of the Scripture had to be fulfilled changed not only in Peter but the 120 people that were around him in this upper room that had gathered for the coming of the Holy Spirit you see that phrase again shows the divine inspiration of in the Bible and and it shows the mighty sovereignty of God folks God is never surprised more than just foreknowledge more than just he knows all things he's waiting for that to happen that's true If you knew what was going to happen in 2028, would there be some things that maybe you would change in the next four years as you're waiting for that to happen? Yeah. So that foreknowledge would kind of influence the way that you would think about things, approach things. And yet what we see here is not just a foreknowledge of God. It is foreknowledge. Time is not a, a thing that God has to dwell with. But it's the sovereignty of God. Well, Bobby, you know, you just keep on using those theological words like sovereignty and, you know, divine inspiration and volition of will. Folks, here's the practical part of it. If God truly is a God who's never surprised, not just because he has foreknowledge, but because he is sovereign over every piece of cosmic dust that there is, has full knowledge of all things, full majesty over all things, then we have a God who's not only surprised, not surprised, but we have a God who is sufficient for us that are living in the midst of surprise. Do you you put those two together? That if I truly serve a God who is never surprised, I'm not just in all of that, I should be in all of that, but not just in all of it, but I can take comfort in that. It is well with my soul. Just a warm feeling in the midst of chaos? Maybe. But why can't it be well with my soul? Because Christ is one. The resurrection changed everything. The Holy Spirit's gonna come and empower them now. So the truth of God, empowered by the very Spirit of God, folks, we can live victoriously and we can live in a world that is full of surprises and still have anchor for our soul, we can still have hope in the darkest of days. That is not me making light of the tragic events of life. For 41 years, I've been there when people said, he was just here yesterday, Pastor. She was just here yesterday. And now she's gone. My wife of this many years, my, my father, my, my my son, my daughter. Either they be, better have a heck of a Hallmark card for that, or we need truth, guys. Because in a world of surprises, when you don't know if you're going to have your job tomorrow night, you're not going to know if you're going to have your life tomorrow night. We need to have This hope that goes beyond our circumstances, beyond our lives, so that when the surprises of life come, we can say Christ has brought victory. Am I assured of this, this, this about my life? No. What am I assured of? That God knows me by name, that he has saved me, that there is therefore no condemnation within me, and so one day he's going to call me. When he calls me, I will go and be by his side, and be he will be my God, and I will be his people. That's our hope, guys. Look at Acts 120. I mean, look what Peter does. For it is written in the book of Psalms: May his camp become desolate, and there let there be no one to dwell in it. And and let another take his office. He, he's quoting there Psalms sixty nine twenty five and Psalms one oh nine eight. He's quoting two different psalms. You know back when he said that David, he's quoting David before, and so he's linking these two verses here. Well, we could find more. I mean, in Psalms forty one nine it said that Christ would be betrayed by a friend. In Zechariah eleven twelve, 12, it said that this person would have uh, be bought with 30 pieces of silver. In Zechariah eleven thirteen, 13, it said that Judas would give back this money. Folks, we have prophecies of all these events. But what Peter points back to in this situation is scripture that has been fulfilled. The scripture had to be fulfilled. And that's allowing Peter now to have a faith that we didn't see before. My goodness, by the next chapter when the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells him, we're going to see this empowerment of this word with him. Uh, Let me be bold and say this morning, you cannot live in Christian victory without... the, the. The power of God's Word empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're not that good. You can't do it. None of us can do that. And yet God has given us the equipment. He's given me, given us the ability to live in victory, Christian. Even in a world of surprises, even things when we say things go south in our life are among the most tragic things that we've ever faced. His Word. Empowered by his spirit in our lives. And all of a sudden we see a boldness. A boldness that's lived out in our life. That's not pointing attention to us. That's pointing attention to the victory that now has been birthed and breathed out in us. Folks, God is never surprised. You and I are surprised. You and I are caught off guard. You and I go into reaction mode. This happened. Now I got to do this. But God never does. He's never reacted. Never once has he reacted. did not that blow your mind? Isn't that one of those things that just... In men's discipleship, and and that Wednesday morning when we've been talking about the all-wise God, as Paul calls him in Romans, that God has never had a moment when he was less wise. And there will never be a moment when he's more wise. Does that... I mean, hopefully, we're growing in wisdom. God has never grown in understanding. He's never grown in wisdom. He's never been grown in anything. He doesn't react. He acts. He never has and he never will have to resort to plan B. What hope does that give to me? Number one, to know that I am secure in Christ. I'm secure in Christ. And number two, that in a world filled with surprises I've a God who already knows, already understands, already has a plan, and that His Word is sufficient to guide me, His Spirit is sufficient to empower me, and I can live in victory even in the saddest days of my life. We're not trying to minimize grief and and loss and sadness. What we're doing, folks, is maximizing the power of the gospel. Please understand that. I'm never gonna sit by a mother who's just lost a child and say, Well, you know God's gonna broken hearted tears. The Bible says Cry with those that are crying. Weep with those that are weeping. Rejoice with those that are rejoicing. But here's why we can rejoice even in those moments. Maybe not at that specific moment, because the emotions of our, our, ourselves are right there. But we can have joy even in that darkest of nights. Why? Because His Word and His Spirit are sufficient. Until you're completed, if you're, and again, this is only for believers in Christ you're here this morning and you have not put your full trust in the work of Christ, you're still counting on some of your own abilities, your own goodness. I go to church. I did this in vacation Bible school when I was eight years old. Folks, if, if you're depending any on yourselves and you haven't placed your total trust in the work of Jesus Christ, you need to think through that. But if you have done that, as much as you can humanly kind of say, I put all my faith and all my trust in the work of Jesus Christ, and that alone, none of my own righteousness, then there are certain promises, there are certain actions of God that now are yours and will not fade away, will not tarnish. What happens? What happens? Let's read the last part. It's a rather long section. Kind of stay with me. Verse 21 through 26. It's kind of interesting. It's information, and I pray that it does have some inspiration for us. Verse 21, so one of the men who had accompanied us during all that time was with the Lord Jesus, went out and in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become... "...with us a witness to his resurrection." And they put forth two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, "...you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place." And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered as one of the eleven apostles. Okay? Is it because twelve is a really good round number? Is it because they, you know, they needed twelve? They needed this twelfth man because they used to go out two by two. Was there an empty disk in the corner that used to be Judas's and they're going, you know, that's going to gather cobwebs if we just let it sit. So we better go find... No... Somehow Peter, he goes back and he quotes that psalm. You know, we need to fill this office. Under the direction of the Word of God, influenced by the Spirit of God, because he's not indwelt by the Holy Spirit yet. Until chapter 2. But the Holy Spirit's still working. He says, this is what we need to do. And, and then notice what they do. there. It's kind of, in, in one way you might think, well, if they're led by the Holy Spirit, then why did they cast lots? In the Old Testament, casting lots... Um, something similar to us would be when you draw sticks, the short stick and the long stick, uh, something rolling dice, uh, having a white stone and a black stone, You know, different things like that, would be similar to what we would see in the Old Testament of casting lots. They truly believed that God was ordaining his work and his answer through the casting of lots. And so they have these two men. They have the qualifications, okay? He has to have witnessed Christ, They've been there since the baptism of John and, and until this day where they saw Christ resurrected and then 40 days living among us. These are the qualifications. We have these two good men and then they cast lots. Why? Because they trusted God to work through that. One interesting fact is do you ever see the casting of lots again after chapter 2 and the coming of the Holy Spirit? Did, did you cast lots when you were deciding if I would be your pastor? Did we, when somebody comes for membership, do we cast lots? Ah, short in the stick. Sorry, man. <laughs> How many of y'all casted lots before you proposed? We're now indwelt by the very spirit, the very might of living God. We don't have to cast lots. I think I shared with you before, in my infancy as a Christian, in my infancy as a Christian, I'm so embarrassed by this, but it just showed, you know, what a 12-year-old does when there's a part of him that wants to follow God, but there's a part of him that has no knowledge of how to do all that. And I used to open my Bible and Whatever the name of the book was, if it had a Y, a E, or an S first, you know, the first letter that would come up, not the first letter of that book, but the first letter that would come up in the name of that book, then it would be yes. If it was an N or an O, then it would be no. Okay, God, you know, and I knew where Psalms was, and what's the second letter of Psalms? S! So if you want to ask, but what's right beside Psalms? Proverbs. What's the first of those letters that comes up in Proverbs? Oh, so even though I thought, okay, I'm just going to memorize where Psalms is, and I'm going to get a yes. Folks, we don't have to do that. I was a child. Okay, don't do that. Don't. Well, my pastor said, go home and just open up the Bible, and God will speak to you. No, we have, uh, yeah, open up the Bible, but don't look for the name of the book and a Y E or S or N or look for the Spirit of God who gives people who live in a world of surprises divine answers in leadership. Not always displaying the fullness of the mystery. One of the things about the wisdom of God that we've been studying is that we will never on this earth understand the fullness of the wisdom of God. He picks the 12. Some say that it's because of Matthew 19:28 that Jesus said in the end times. Jesus said, "In the truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you, have, uh, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Twelve is a really big number. It's an order of government. It's an order, a uh, number of order. And God uses it throughout. Some, some theologians would point to this of of why God wanted that twelve. He didn't need the twelve. But he predicted the twelve. And Peter finally understands that the scripture had to be fulfilled. In a life full of surprises. We serve a God who's never surprised. Listener, please please hear this this morning. He's not surprised by your sin. I've talked with people before. Yeah, Pastor, you just don't know what I've done. And I don't need to know, but God already knows. And, and he did not shy away from the cross to save you because of he thought your sin was was just too deep and too dirty. If he knows all things, if he's not surprised, he's not surprised by your sin. He sent a sufficient Savior. He's not surprised by your fears. Have you ever, for those that are parents, have you ever had like a nine-year-old and you thought they were out of a stage of being... Afraid of the boogeyman or something, and and all of a sudden that 11 year old, 18 year old, you know, that begins to, "Uh, I think there's a monster under the bed. And you're going, man, I I thought you'd be out of the stage by now. That's never surprised by your fears. That's not ordaining your fears. Just, guys, he's not surprised. He sent his very spirit to empower you. And get this, Christian, he's not surprised by, by your questions. I don't think that God is offended by our sincere, heartfelt questions. Even those three questions that we talk about all the time. Why me? Why this? Why now? Even when we're at that low part and and we cry out with those human cries of why, he's not offended by that. But he wants to help us with that. And he's given us his word to guide us. Folks, we serve a sovereign God, a mighty God, a faithful God, a holy God, a loving God, a patient God, a God who is never surprised. Why does that matter? Because we are people that live in a world of surprise. And you don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, a month from now. But you can take assurance in this, that if you are in Christ Jesus You are safe and secure in the finished work of mighty God. So in all the winds that can change our lives, and all the the things that can bring fear and doubt into our lives. We're going to end on this. We're going to sing a song. It's one of my favorite songs. Jesus, Thank You by Sovereign Grace, if you know that song. It's one of my favorite songs. It's just good scripture being sung out. Folks, if we're going to be surprised by something, will you be surprised by this? That God saw you in your sin, and he said, I love you, and I choose you? That we were, the Bible says, the enemy of God, and he says, now I have seen you, and I want you seated at my table. That we were orphans, and in our sinfulness, we rebelled against the holy God. And he said, I choose you to be my son and my daughter. If you're going to be surprised, be surprised what the scripture said, that God was pleased when he crushed his son. That sounds outrageous. Why was he pleased? Because that bought you and I our salvation. If you're going to be surprised, be surprised that this God who overwhelmingly time and time again has shown us his love for us, what he did for us, and that we were not deserving of it, but he did it. And he finished it through Jesus Christ. If we're going to be surprised, let's be surprised in that this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. That we were who are dead, you've made been made alive. And Father, if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know you, Father, will you allow them to, to, will you open their eyes to the beauty of the gospel? And And Father, that they will see their deadness so that they can see that you can bring them totally alive. Not partially alive, but totally alive. Father, will you allow us to understand how far off we were and yet how we've been made, brought near because of the work of Christ? Father, will you allow us this morning to be surprised that your wrath, your holy wrath against sin has been completely satisfied in the finished work of Christ? Father, if we're going to be surprised, will you surprise us in the things of you this morning? And this high standing, this high calling to be the very children of Holy God. Surprises, Father, by your mercy, your grace, your power, and your sovereignty. In a world full of surprises, Father, let us have rest this morning that you are never surprised. We pray this in the one that made it possible. Christ, our risen Lord. Amen.